0: Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey we're going to continue this conversation that we started uh, a few weeks ago uh, about what we really believe as a church. And we've said this uh, to start each week, but I don't know if you know this, when you walked into church today, you had a picture of what your experience was going to be like, right? You walked in and uh, maybe you haven't been here for a while, but you were imagining like what songs we were going to sing or who was going to be up here or what the lights were going to look like. If you have kids, right, that's a big concern. You're probably thinking like, man, what uh, what is their experience going to be like? Is it going to be safe? Is it going to be welcoming? And, and that's true for all of us, it, really in any experience. Whenever we go somewhere, we have an expectation about what we're going to experience. And what we've been doing throughout this series is trying to kind of fill in that picture for us as Story Church, both about what we believe as Christians and maybe even some of the unique ways that we approach some aspects of faith. And so we've covered a lot of ground uh, over the past few weeks and uh, have plenty more to go yet. But uh, this topic it's not just important for us together uh, as a community as we're talking about what we believe collectively, but it's really important for us to wrestle with the things that we believe as individuals as well Uh, because we shared this idea with you on week one that what we believe typically shapes how we behave that the things that we believe are true shapes the way we present ourselves in the world, the actions that we take, and I think that's extremely true in the topic that we're going to look at today, but more on that uh, in just a minute. Something we've done every single week in this series is we've tried to like, highlight some of the core essentials of what we really believe, that there are some things that uh, we think are firm and we need to hold on to as a Christian church and as a community, and the number one thing that we've said every single week, and we'll probably say the remaining weeks, is this, it's that we're a Jesus-centered community. That for us, like the end of the day, it is all about who Jesus is, uh, what he did for us, and what he calls us to do in light of who he is. And so we have said every week that we trust the Bible as it points to Jesus and as it reveals Jesus to us. And uh, beyond that, if you're looking for like the bullet point uh, statement of beliefs or anything like that, we do have one on our website if you're interested in that kind of thing. Uh, But we've just kind of said in broad strokes, we uh, subscribe to the Apostles Creed, which is this historic uh, confession of faith that basically speaks through the, the basics of what we believe as Christians. Outside of that, I've made a point every week to say that there's actually a lot of diversity and maybe even some disagreements within our church and even within our leadership team. And we actually think that that diversity is a good thing. That the church can actually get kind of sideways and weird if we think that we all have to think exactly alike about every single issue. Uh, In fact, I remember growing up, I I think it was my dad taught me that like, if you're in a room where everybody thinks alike, that means a lot of people aren't thinking, right? (laughs) Because they're just going along with whoever maybe the loudest person in the room is. That's me today because I have a microphone. But that's not what I'm asking you to do throughout this series. This series isn't about compliance. It's not about checking off all of the right boxes. In fact, we've called it a conversation because central to the narrative of who God's people have always been is this idea of wrestling with God and wrestling with other people about what God is like and who he calls us to be. We have shared about the story of a man named Jacob who uh, he was out traveling with his family. They were getting ready to cross the Jordan River, and Jacob sent his family on ahead, and then it's kind of this random interaction. He suddenly starts wrestling with a man, and Jacob actually kind of pins the guy down, and and later we realize that that man was actually an angel or maybe even God in the flesh, and uh, as Jacob is holding this man down, the man asks him and says, hey, what is your name? And Jacob replies, and he says, my name's Jacob. But the man, who is actually God, says back to Jacob, well, your name is no longer going to be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with humans and you've overcome. And you've probably heard that name Israel before, right? Because that went on to become the nation of God's people uh, at that time. And, And, as uh, those people continued to grow, they continue to carry this tradition of wrestling with their faith, of asking questions of their sacred texts and wrestling with it in the context of community. And so that's what we're jumping into and joining with today. And uh, another thing that we've done the past few weeks is we've tried to highlight just these tensions that exist sometimes in living out our faith. Last week, we talked about the tension that can exist between the historic roots of our Christian faith, right? these beliefs that go back thousands of years and are rooted in the first century and the ancient world. And then there's this tension of the dynamic changing world that we live in right now. And we said that the church is at its best when it sits right in the middle of that, when it doesn't try to resolve that tension, but we just hold together and we uh, discern and work together through our historic faith in the context of an ever-changing world. But I think another tension that many of us experience as it relates to our faith, however long you've been in church, whatever you may believe today, there's this tension that exists between mystery and certainty, right? Like both things kind of exist at the same time. And a lot of times faith seems like it should be all about certainty, right? We want to hold on to something. We want to have something true that we can cling to. But then maybe like me, you've had an experience at some point where you saw something that was beautiful. Like I was just on an airplane a couple of weeks ago and I was telling a friend, every time I'm on an airplane and it like breaks through the clouds, it's this really cool intersection for me of like how amazing people are. Like we built a thing that's made out of metal and can fly through the sky at really fast speeds safely usually. And uh, we can do that but at the same time like we're above the clouds and I just have this awareness every time I'm in the air like I am so very, very small in the grand scheme of things. And so it's like this this moment that prompts mystery in me. Like how is it possible that I can be very, very small but we can do very, very amazing things like put an airplane in the sky. So mystery and certainty often exist in tension together and I think you're gonna find for the topic we're going after today that that's true here as well. But really quick, let me give you a recap of where we've been. So week one, uh, we asked the question, what do we believe about God? And we shared the simple explanation uh, that John recorded in Scripture that God is love. Not that God is loving or or sometimes behaves in a loving way, but at his core, at his essence, God is love. And we talked about this kind of mysterious thing uh, about how God exists as the Trinity, these three distinct persons that make up this one entity that we know as God. And this idea that God is love and he exists in community and always has and always will, it's kind of a simple idea. Right? It almost sounds like cheap, like new-agey kind of thinking, like, God is love, man, everything's good. Uh, but it's also like this really complex idea when you try and work out, like, so how does the Trinity work? We just skimmed the surface on week one of what that looked like. Uh, but I love what uh, Friar Richard Rohr says about this idea of wrestling with mystery and wrestling with uncertainty. He said that mystery is not that which is unknowable. That's what we often tend to think, right? Mystery is like, I don't know, nobody knows. He says mystery is that which is endlessly knowable. And that's kind of what we're talking about when we talk about God, that God as love is endlessly knowable. We can always discover more about who God is and his character and what it means for us to exist in the world that he created. And uh, so we talked about this divine dance that God has always been in and that he invites us into, and that our beliefs are actually rooted in the context of a story that we're not talking about just a list of do's and don'ts throughout this series or a creed that we're all supposed to recite together. Uh, But the Bible is actually this unified story that points to Jesus. And the story at the very beginning shows God, in community, in love, creating a world that's meant to reflect his intentions. Last week, we described that uh, through the word shalom. We said that shalom is how our world was actually created. And shalom, uh, kind of a rough definition, is that shalom is about universal flourishing. Shalom is about wholeness and delight. We said it's the way that things ought to be and the way that God created the world. He created the world with this original blessing, but really quickly, things went wrong. And so last week, we talked about this idea of sin and what that really looks like. So that was a fun week. If you missed it, lucky you. Uh, but no, we really didn't try and like beat you over the head with anything uh, because sin, as we defined it, it's not just an arbitrary list of do's and don'ts. It's not just like right and wrong. But we defined sin last week as the culpable disruption of shalom. In other words, sin is whenever God's intentions for the world get broken, get hijacked, get misplaced. Sin is anything that fractures our connection with God or with other people and anything that disrupts the way that God intended our world to be, And so where we're going today, we're going to kind of bounce around in the story, right? We were kind of building like God created the world and it was all in love and then it got kind of broken, but God still showed up in the midst of that. We're actually going to kind of rewind and we're going to look at one of the three persons of the Trinity uh, that make up who God is. And I think for many of us, when we talk about God as a father, we have some concept for that, right? Because all of us have had or have a father, and whether you have a good or a bad father is a different topic for a different day, but we can kind of get our heads around that. Like, okay, God is a loving father, Uh, and many of us have heard something about God as the son, Jesus, right? That's what we're about to celebrate in a few weeks at Easter is that God showed up in a human body and in this incredible way, revealed to us what God is like, and invited us to live the way that he lived. Uh, But when it comes to that third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, it's a little murkier, isn't it? It feels a little out there. It feels a little supernatural. In fact, we used to call the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost, and then I think eventually we decided that's too creepy and we were scaring the children, and so we moved on to Holy Spirit, because that's a little happier. But some of you in the room today, maybe you like the supernatural, right? Maybe you're kind of interested, you're kind of curious, and you kind of lean in around conversations like this. Maybe uh, you remember this opening a little bit of a TV show. Right? Don't worry, we're not gonna play the whole thing because just hearing like that little bit kind of feels creepy to me because it's the X-Files, if you didn't know. Like, It just gives you all these feelings of like, ooh, what's out there in the world, right? And Some of you are big X-Files fans. Uh, children of the 90s, maybe you were more into this girl. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, remember her? Uh, Full disclosure, I was not allowed to watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer because I was much too young, Uh, but I did have Clarissa Explains It All, the Teenage Witch on Nickelodeon, so still kind of the same thing, right? A little friendlier, but still supernatural, still out there, she had a talking cat, so that's a thing. Uh, Or in recent days, uh, maybe you're like me, I've gotten really into this show, Stranger Things, uh, because what's better, than a bunch of nerdy middle school-aged kids in the 80s running around a fictional Indiana town fighting monsters. It's so good. And the Russians are involved, so it kind of feels real. But anyway, uh, (laughs) sometimes I think what we do is we lump the Holy Spirit in that camp, right? It's just kind of like, ooh, I don't know. Like, ooh, I don't really understand. And maybe it's even a little spooky. Like, how does the Holy Spirit actually operate in our world and in our faith and in our lives? And, And so we lump in the Holy Spirit as this mysterious, supernatural uncontrollable aspect to our faith, and honestly, a lot of people get kind of weird when you talk about the Holy Spirit, right? A lot of practices in our faith can feel a little out there, uh, depending on your tradition, and depending on your background, and I have no intention today of being disrespectful to anyone with a differing belief or or different perspective. Again, I believe we can have diversity around some of these topics and and still like each other and still move forward together, Uh, but this is one of those places where what you believe shapes how you behave. Right? What you believe about the Holy Spirit often shapes how churches gather and how churches worship together. And in more charismatic expressions of the church, the Holy Spirit is really elevated as front and center in terms of worship and practice. And maybe you've been to a church where like, they had flags out or dancers or something like that, and you're like, okay, what are we doing today? Like. Uh, that's not my tradition, so it it feels a little different. Uh, Maybe they have different instruments because of that. I feel like a lot of churches have that one lady with a tambourine, right? And I don't know. She's just in every church. She always shows up, and she's playing the tambourine, and that's great. Uh, On a more, like, serious level, uh, there's been a lot of disagreement in the church about certain gifts of the Spirit, things like speaking in tongues. And we're not really going to hang out there today. That's another topic for another day, and I'm happy to talk more about it. But uh, there's some communities where that gift is elevated Uh, it's actually be like a confirmation of salvation and and maybe for you you grew up in a community like that or you were around a community like that and you felt inferior because you didn't have that experience maybe you even felt pressure to manufacture an experience kind of like that there can be all this difficulty uh, understanding what it really looks like for the holy spirit to show up and to be active and to be present in our lives and so i think because of all this tension often what churches do is they go to one extreme or the other Right? It's like all Holy Spirit all the time, and that's front and center, and, and that's where some of these practices that maybe feel uncomfortable to, to some of us show up. And then others of us, this is how I was raised, we just kind of act like he's not really there. right? Like the Holy Spirit is the crazy uncle of the Trinity. It's like he's in the family, he's cool, but like he's not getting invited to Thanksgiving because we don't know what's going to happen. Like, that's kind of how we treat him. And in fact, a, a pastor and author, a guy named Francis Chan, wrote a book about the Holy Spirit that he titled The Forgotten God. Because his perspective was that in many of our churches, we've forgotten about this important aspect of God's character, this important person in the Trinity. And and so some of us, we like go all in with the Holy Spirit. Some of us, we avoid it because it just feels uncomfortable and uncontrollable and like we don't know. So we just don't go there. And then I think some of us kind of take this middle ground approach where we like just call on the Holy Spirit when it's convenient, when we like need something from God. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had somebody come up to you and say, well, God told me to do this, or God told me to do that, I'm not denying that God moves uh, in that way at times. That God can give us leadings and promptings. In fact, I think that's a primary way that God moves in our lives. But oftentimes, when people are saying, "Hey, God told me to do that," it's just kind of like the trump card, where they're like, "So do what I say." Right? Like, I have a friend whose boyfriend uh, dumped her and said God told her to, or told him to. God told him to dump her. And it's like, what do you do with that? Like, okay, like, <laughs> thanks God, I guess. Like, uh, I think what really happened is he just didn't want to like deal with it, so it's like, God told me to argue with that. But uh, I think sometimes this shows up in weird ways and, and maybe you saw this uh, video making the rounds from the popular game show, Family Feud. Uh, this made the rounds on TikTok recently. One person leaning into the Holy Spirit in kind of a unique way, check this out. Okay. I'm gonna ask you the same five questions you can Hold on. Ju- Okay. Holy Spirit, activate. Oh, no. Holy Spirit, activate. Holy Spirit, activate. 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 All right, let's go. Never years has never happened before. <laughs> <laughs> That's the perfect response, right? Like, this has never happened here before. He actually goes on and he's like talking about like, well, so like in the BMV, do you just do that? Like, Holy Spirit, activate. And so like, here's the thing. It can get kind of goofy, right? Because we don't know what to do with this person known as the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we think the Holy Spirit is something that we can control and something that we can leverage. And it's like, man, I need something. So Holy Spirit, activate, let's go. I need some superpower right now. Uh, but what we've been doing together As I said at the beginning, we're talking about what we believe as a church community. And what we believe is this true story about Jesus, the King who created this kingdom community that we're invited to be a part of. And in this story, undeniably, we have to face it, there is this mysterious character known as the Holy Spirit. And so as Jesus followers, again, it's easy for us to talk about the Father. Right, the Father and his love for us. And, and we can understand Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross and what it means for Jesus to be our savior. Uh, but there's actually a recent study that showed about 62% of self-identified Christians contend that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but at best is just kind of this symbol Of God's power or presence or purity. And whatever you may believe today, whatever your experience with this topic may be today, I'm excited to jump into the mystery a little bit together. And and there's a lot we could cover, and we're not going to cover every aspect of the Holy Spirit, but I just want to give you kind of like a maybe 101 level introduction to the answer, who is the Holy Spirit? Like what do we really believe about the Holy Spirit? And my hope is that you could discover that the Spirit isn't like the crazy uncle of the Trinity, But the Spirit actually plays a vital role in the story of Jesus and the story of his kingdom community and really should play an important role in our life and in our faith as well. Uh, Jesus actually introduced his followers to the Holy Spirit as he walked on this earth. Uh, Jesus said this, uh, as recorded in uh, John's account of Jesus' life. He says, if you love me, keep my commands and I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. So Jesus says this to his closest followers and the context of what's happening here is really important. Jesus actually said this uh, just days before he was heading to Jerusalem, which would ultimately lead to his arrest and his death on the cross. And so this kind of this disruptive time in the followers of Jesus' life. Like, things feel a little unsettled right now, and yet Jesus is comforting his followers. They're unsure about what's about to happen to Jesus, and ultimately what that means is going to happen to them. Uh, They know that, according to Jesus, they still have more to accomplish, but if Jesus isn't around, like, what does that mean for them? And it's in that context, Jesus tells them, hey, look, I have to go, but the Father is going to send you the Spirit who will help you and who will be with you forever. In fact, Jesus makes a really bold claim if you think about it. Uh, Elsewhere, Jesus says it's actually better for him to go away so that the spirit can come. Like maybe you've ever felt before like, man, I just wish Jesus was here and I could meet him and talk to him face to face. Jesus would not agree with you (laughs) because Jesus says, hey, it's better actually that I go away so I can send you the spirit to live with you and to empower you and to help you be the person that I want you to be. And so when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there's a lot we could talk about, there's a lot that we could learn, but I wanna quickly run through three words that I think describe who the Holy Spirit is and who the Holy Spirit can be in the life of a Jesus follower. And those words are person, present, and power. And so like we read stories and maybe you've gone through scriptures before and you've heard the Holy Spirit described, there's images of the Spirit that show up where he's described as a dove Uh, Like when Jesus was baptized, it says the Spirit descended like a dove. Or or maybe you've heard the Spirit described uh, like a flame or or like a fire because there's this moment in church history called Pentecost uh, where the Spirit kind of moved in a unique way, and it says that the Spirit was like tongues of fire over them, so like little flames or something. So maybe that's the image that comes to your mind when you think about the Spirit. Elsewhere, uh, the Spirit is described like a wind. Jesus actually describes the Spirit as the wind that he blows where he wants to. Uh, But it's important for us to understand at the very beginning that the Holy Spirit is none of those things. The Holy Spirit is actually a person. And don't hear me wrong, not a human being. Okay, I'm not saying a person like, and here he is today. But the Holy Spirit is personal. The, The Spirit is not an it, not a fire, not a dove, not a wind, not a human being, but rather a person. And throughout Scripture, you can actually see the Holy Spirit demonstrate the ability to relate as a person uh, to humans in the world like for example the spirit can communicate in in a mysterious way you see accounts especially throughout the book of acts where the spirit communicates wisdom and direction to the early jesus movement they're able to discern what god wants based on what they hear and they receive from the spirit Uh, like a person The Spirit is described as having emotions. Uh, In his letter to the church in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul, who planted churches in the first century, actually says that the Spirit can feel grieved, and so that's not a good thing, but it's acknowledging this personhood of the Spirit, that the Spirit is actually interacting with our world and with Jesus' followers specifically. And I think sometimes we're tempted to think about the Holy Spirit kind of like the force from Star Wars. Right, where it's just kind of ethereal and it's just there and there's maybe the light side and the dark side and you better be on the light side or figure out how to leverage it for your benefit. Uh, this account in scripture actually tells us the opposite, that the spirit isn't just this disembodied, removed force that's out there. The spirit is actually personal and relational. The spirit isn't some impersonal force somewhere out there in the universe and, and not just some energy that we can tap into and activate when things aren't going our way. The spirit It is a person, and specifically a divine person. The Spirit is a part uh, of that trinity that we talked about on week one, this three-in-one nature of God, and he's not like the supporting actor of the trinity. He's an equal partner along the way. He's a divine person who, like the Father and like Jesus, possess all of the qualities and all of the attributes of God because the Spirit is God. Uh, There's a theologian named Grand Cole who wrote a book actually about uh, just the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. That's tall order to write that book, right? But he says this, that the Holy Spirit is as much deity or as much God as is the Father and as is the Son, but distinct as a person from both. And I think that's important for us today to understand because it means that the Holy Spirit is relatable like a person, that we can actually have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And in fact, our relationship with God is incomplete if we deny this aspect of his character and of his person. So the Spirit is a divine person and a part of the Trinity, but not only that, it's important for us to know today that the Spirit is actually uniquely present. The Spirit is uniquely present in our world, and from the very beginning, actually, uh, the spirit was always there. Sometimes we think the spirit arrived like later in the story and, and it's kind of this aspect of the church world today. Uh, but actually Genesis chapter one, verse two says that the spirit of God was hovering over the waters at the very beginning. When things were being created, the spirit was there. Uh, that's why God uses this communal language in, in the initial creation accounts. And, and the spirit was there at the beginning of human history as all everything was being shaped and made In Shalom. And as you move forward uh, through the Old Testament, the Spirit moves in and through people in unique ways to accomplish certain things to draw people back to God. Uh, These are people like Moses and Samson and David. Uh, And this older era, if you want to describe it that way, was characterized where the Spirit did kind of move like the wind. The Spirit would like move specifically in the selected, limited influence on a specific person's life, primarily uh, kings and judges and prophets. And they would show up and they would speak on behalf of God, empowered by the Spirit. But through a prophet in the Old Testament, uh, God actually shared that one day there was going to be this new era, this new way that the Holy Spirit was going to show up and interact uh, with people in the future. And he says this through the prophet Joel. He says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And so the prophet Joel wrote about this new way that God was gonna show up in the world. This new way where everyone would have access to the spirit. It wasn't just for special selective people. Uh, This new age where all of God's people could have access to the spirit, the presence of God, whenever and however they needed. And this truth was actually expanded on by Jesus when he walked this earth, and he made that promise when he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And one day, what we believe is it actually happened, and that's that event that I alluded to earlier, this moment called Pentecost, and it's recorded in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Again, For our purposes today, we're doing like high-level overview, so we're not going to dig into it. But essentially, uh, God, uh, Jesus, before he ascended, told his followers to wait for him to send the Spirit. And so they did. They waited, and they waited, and eventually, uh, Jesus fulfilled his promise. And the Spirit showed up in the lives of Jesus' followers in this unique way. And it's not that the Spirit moved for the first time at Pentecost. It's just that the Spirit showed up in a unique way from that moment, and from that moment on, the Spirit has been available to every Jesus follower to help us learn what it looks like to follow him and to move forward. And and so here's the thing, like, here's the kicker. Here's why it's a big deal for us today to understand that If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've put your trust in Jesus, that means that same Spirit is present and available to you today. That same Spirit is present in the life of every Jesus follower. And, And so maybe you're like, okay, So there's this personal uh, spirit of God, right? And I can have a relationship with God through the spirit, and I can have this confidence that the spirit is actually present with me. That's kind of mind-blowing stuff right there, right? Like if we actually just packed it up and went home, that's probably enough for us to chew on. Uh, But the third thing I really want you to understand, really at the heart of the role that the spirit can play in a Jesus follower's life, is this third idea that the Holy Spirit actually gives us power, And when Jesus offered his instruction to his first followers to wait on the Spirit, here's what he said. He said that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This was the beginning of the Jesus movement, the beginning of the church, which we're still a part of today. And Jesus promises that his followers would receive power when the Holy Spirit came to dwell in them. And I think we could get sidetracked here and talk about, okay, so what does that power look like and and how are all the ways of that power is manifested and maybe that's another series for another day that we can work through together. But today, like, the point I want you to get is the end goal of this power. The bottom line of why the Spirit is active and present in the lives of Jesus' followers, it's this, is that the Holy Spirit actually empowers God's people to follow Jesus in the ways of his kingdom. That's a big idea so let me say it again that the holy spirit the role that the holy spirit plays in the life of a jesus follower is the holy spirit empowers god's people to actually live life the way that jesus called us to live to actually operate and exist in his kingdom and as he always intended it to be jesus knew that we didn't exactly have what it takes on our own to live the kinds of lives that he wants us to live and so he sent us the spirit to empower us and to help us become the people he's always longed for us to be. And let me give you an illustration of this really quick. Uh, Think about your life uh, maybe kind of like a balloon for a second. Like your faith looks like a balloon. And and if you think about it, there's a couple of different ways that you could fill up a balloon, right? Like uh, maybe you take a balloon and you fill it up with your breath. Like I blew this one up this morning, okay? And and you do your thing. Like this is kind of what it feels like. But if you try and get this thing to float and to fly in the air, guess what you have to do? yeah, you have to do that continuously. And if I don't, it's just gonna fall down. That's what faith can feel like sometimes, isn't it? Like I put in all the effort, like I made the decision, I've got the balloon, like my trust is in Jesus. But then we feel like life is just like, okay, I'm trying to Jesus, like I'm trying. I'm trying to keep up. I made it to church, it was snowing. Like, come on, give me some credit, man. I sang the new song. I didn't really like it, but it's fine. Like And you like, just keep doing your thing. And this is what life can feel like. It's what faith can feel like at times. But this isn't what God intended our lives to look like. This would be like the representation of trying to follow Jesus without the power of the Spirit. But this bad boy is tied to a weight because if I let go of this, it's just gonna fly and fly and fly. If you're aware of how balloons work, you know this is filled with helium, not air, right? So that thing's just gonna lift and lift and lift all along the way. But this is kind of a representation of how the Spirit operates in the life of a Jesus follower. The Spirit empowers us to live the life God called us to do without the striving, without the effort, without uh, just this desire to try to impress God or try and get our act together. The Spirit is what empowers us to live the lives God calls us to live. And this may be a bold statement, but I would say you can't actually live the Christian life without a connection to the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you're just kind of like trying to moralize and, and get your act together and be as good as you can be on your own. But that's not what God calls us to God calls us to rely on him. So we don't need another to-do list. We don't need motivation to do better or try harder. We need freedom from this performance-based way of doing things. And that freedom is found in connection to the Holy Spirit empowering us. Theologian Tom Wright uh, says it this way. He says that what God's people are promised is power. And the word that's actually used in the text is dynamis, from which we get dynamite. And we need that power just as Jesus' first followers did if we or they are to be his witnesses, to find ways of announcing to the world that he is already the rightful king and Lord. And I don't know how all that feels to you, but that vision of living in the freedom of God empowering us to be the people he calls us to be, to be the witnesses to a watching world, that fires me up to believe that that power is actually available and acceptable to us. And I believe if we lived in this way, Right? Not the effort, not the striving, not the trying to get our act together, but the actual depending on God. If we lived in this way, I believe we would actually see the walls of division start to come down. And some of the addictions and strongholds and things that people are so wrapped up in. If we could live in this way, I think we would see those things demolished and broken down and we would see the kingdom of God flourish and become what God wants it to be. And you have this in you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have access to the power of the Holy Spirit to help you live the life God wants you to live. And here's the thing. Jesus' power, or I'm sorry, the Spirit's power, it's not like this unilateral commitment. It's not the Holy Spirit activate dance and then you like make this happen. It's not a one time thing that you do. But the vision for life with God in the Spirit is actually something that requires something of us. And that something it requires is dependence. It's dependence, it's trust, it's an openness to God to show up and to move in our lives imagine it this way. If I uh, went out, I mean, in 2020, I feel like a lot of us did this because we were all stuck at home. And if you wanted to be fit or healthy or whatever, uh, maybe you went out and you bought like a really fancy, nice treadmill and you bought that thing. It looks really good. You took a picture of it for Instagram because that's what we do. And and maybe for you, like you bought that thing and it sat there and it sat there and here we are in 2022. And you're like, I'm going to take this back to the store because it's not working for me. Right. I haven't lost any weight. If you took it back to the store and you explained your problem to the, the person who sold it to you, they would probably say, at some point in the conversation, well, did you get on the treadmill, right? Like, d- did you use it? If you're not, like, actually using the thing, that's how some of us treat the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're like, yeah, I know, right? Okay, I believe that. I believe that God moved then in that way. I believe that the Spirit exists. I read it in Scripture. But maybe you've thought before something like, like, sure, I believe the Spirit lives in me, but I don't really think that matters in my day-to-day life. Or, 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 like, maybe if you're honest, you're like, hey, my life is so full, I don't really know that I have this need for this Holy Spirit of God to empower me. I'm just trying to keep up with day to day to day. Uh, maybe you've never put yourself in a place of truly needing the Spirit to show up in your life. That's a far cry from dependence. But the good news for us today is that dependence on the Holy Spirit is actually meant to be this ongoing pursuit for all of us, for your whole life of following Jesus. It's meant to be this ongoing pursuit where every day you wake up and you depend on God and his grace to lead you to become the person he calls you to be. It's why the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church in Galatia, he talks about what it looks like to live life in the spirit and he uses this active language time and time again. He says that we should walk by the spirit, that we should actually be led by the spirit. And one of my favorite verses, he actually says that we should keep in step with the spirit. Doesn't that kind of make you think of that divine dance we talked about uh, on week one, that we're supposed to keep the pace, we're supposed to keep in step with the Spirit, learning to live as He calls us to live and how He leads us moving forward. This is an active participation with the Spirit, with God, moving in our lives. And one of the ways I think that many of us can actually grow in our dependence on the Spirit is to grow in our awareness of the Spirit. Because for many of us, our life is running at a pace that just squashes out any room for us to even be aware of the activity of God in our lives. And the truth is, the presence of God isn't something that we attain, or it isn't something that we achieve. God is present in this world and active in this world all the time. He, he's always around us, but dependence on God's Spirit actually happens through surrender, not through striving. It's not like we say the magic words and then God shows up or we pray the magic prayer and then God shows up, or we pick the right worship set and God shows up. The truth is God is always active. God is always present, God is always moving, but what we often lack is awareness. And we can actually grow in our dependence on the spirit when we grow in our awareness of what God might already be doing. I love the way, again, uh, Friar Richard Rohr uh, says this in reference to the presence of God in our lives. He says that we can't attain the presence of God because we're already totally in the presence of God. But what's absent is awareness. Little do we realize that God is maintaining us in existence with every breath we take. And as we take another breath, it means God is choosing us now and now and now. I mean, even that of itself, right? Like think about the remarkable reality that you are getting another breath right now and another breath right now, and you're not even thinking about it. Right? It's this incredible way that God is present, that God is moving, that God is active in our lives, but we often miss the presence of God with us because we aren't present in the moment. Right? We, don't, we don't create that space to raise our awareness of him. And so as we wrap up, I want to really give you two things. Or one is an idea that you can do at home, and one is a lab that we're about to practice together. <laughs> and, and the thing that you can do at home uh, is to actually practice this thing Jesus followers have done uh, for thousands of years called a breath prayer. And the idea of a breath prayer is to simply slow down and take time to reflect on something repeatedly. It's called a breath prayer because it's as easy as breathing out and breathing in. And uh, there's all kinds of different uh, words or phrases you could say, but one that Jesus followers, like I said, have, have said for thousands of years is to simply pray, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Or you could phrase it the other way, Holy Spirit, come. And the idea is like, as you breathe in, you say, Holy Spirit. As you breathe out, you say, come. And on and on. Holy Spirit come. Holy Spirit come. And it can be this way that you actually slow yourself down enough to open yourself up to the presence of God in your life and what God may be doing in that moment. And I'm not saying if you do that, you're going to receive some divine revelation and a big booming voice from heaven is going to tell you what to do next. But I am telling you that you'll be better postured and better positioned to be aware of the activity of God that's already all around you. And, And so in that spirit, the thing we want to do together uh, as we wrap up is actually give you a little bit of space right now to do that. And we're going to sing a song, uh, it's kind of low-hanging fruit, it's a song called Holy Spirit, Uh, that's all about raising our awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit right here among us right now. And what I would invite you to do is whatever you feel led to do. You're welcome to stand and to sing, the lyrics will be on the screen, you're welcome to sit and to maybe slow yourself for a second maybe to just kind of do business with God and ask him to show up and, and to be present. Maybe you just pray that breath prayer right now. And you just say, come Holy Spirit. But here's what I believe wholeheartedly. I believe if we truly did this, if we quit trying to live our lives by our own power, but we truly open ourselves up to an awareness of the presence of God around us, we would see our church move forward and become the kind of community that God dreams that it would be. That we would see our friends and our coworkers who are far from God, actually take steps towards him because of our connection to the very power of God. We could see relationships reconciled and families mended. And we could see some life-changing things like what the Apostle Paul called the fruit of the Spirit, things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and just about everything that I think we need in our world right now. If we would slow down and open ourselves up so I believe wholeheartedly that God, through his Holy Spirit, wants to transform you, wants to empower you, and wants to lead you in the life that he's called you to. And so here's what I would invite you to do as we sing and respond together. Invite the Holy Spirit to move in your life. Maybe for the first time. Maybe it's the first time you've ever even engaged with this idea. Open yourself up and see what God may want to do in and through you. What you may want to start right here in these next few moments. Let's respond together. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.